Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with Freedom Through Faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. We now rejoin today's message already in progress. The first and obvious implication of this is Jesus Christ is Lord and King over His spiritual kingdom. Just as He is Lord and King over the material kingdom. He proved that over and over through the miracles and then the resurrection from the dead. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. His external universal rule is direct. His internal personal rule is also direct. God rules the universe directly with hands on creating and and reorganizing everything. What do you think the laying out of hands is in the creation of a miracle? It's not Brother Bob creating the miracle. It's God working through me and telling me to lay hands on someone. I I don't do this by my own power. Praise God. It is God working through me. That he is the one who does the miracles and receives the honor and the glory. Amen. Oh, shout amen, somebody. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. Praise God. God rules in the natural kingdom hands on. And he rules in the internal, personal, spiritual kingdom directly as well, hands-on, but by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He is sovereign in the universe, and He is sovereign to His people. His people. But His rule in the universal kingdom is immediate with no mediator. He does what He wants, the way He wants, does it by Himself. He controls everything in the created universe on His own. He's the one who spoke it and brought it into being. And he upholds every asteroid, every planet, and every star by his power. He is the unobservable, unknown, invisible, mysterious, unidentified power in the molecules of this universe that holds everything together. The glue of the universe, if you want to call him that. He is the one Einstein could not find. Neither can anybody else. He doesn't mediate his role in the universe through anyone. It is direct and it is immediate. But in the personal kingdom, in the internal kingdom, his rule is also direct. For he comes to live inside his own people. Hands on. And these people become the temple of the living God. But this kingdom has been mediated to us through mediators who brought us to that revelation. Amen. The natural revelation, which is available to all, does not need a mediator. Because it's there for everyone to see 
every single minute of every single day of every single person's life. But the special revelation which can bring us into his internal, spiritual, personal kingdom and under his sovereign rule, spiritually, the truth that ushers us into that kingdom is not brought to us through creation. It is brought to us through revelation. Amen. And for that, God did choose mediators. He spoke through mediators. He spoke through angels on some occasions, through men on others, through people. He spoke to and through Adam. He revealed himself to Adam directly. And no doubt, Adam disclosed what he had learned about God to his family and to those who were a part of his life for almost 1,000 years that he lived. Maybe, just maybe, it was Adam's instruction given to him by God that informed Cain and Abel to go offer sacrifices, which was violated by Cain and led to the first murder of Abel. But God revealed himself to Adam and through Adam. God revealed himself to Noah, who became a preacher of righteousness, who preached to his whole generation for the full duration of over 100 years he was building the ark. And God was, through that mediator, bringing the words of righteousness to that generation. How to be reconciled to a righteous God. God mediated his own word and his wisdom and his message through Abraham, giving Abraham a promised covenant, and through Isaac, and then through Jacob, and then through Joseph, and then God mediated his rule through Samuel, and God mediated his rule through all the priests, and God mediated his rule through the prophets who spoke about the revelation that God gave to them, and every one of them wrote it down, praise God. Moses, right? in the Pentateuch and others like Samuel writing it down and David writing it down and Solomon writing it down all the prophets oh praise Jesus this is a message mediated through men under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in fact Israel was a nation of mediators. God narrowed that mediation and poured it through one funnel, if you want to call it that. That funnel was the nation of Israel. Praise Jesus. In the ninth chapter of Romans, oh, praise God. Not at Romans chapter 9. Where was I? I lost my place. <laughs> praise God. The Apostle Paul says concerning Israel, To them belongs the adoption as sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises. Whose are the fathers and from whom is the Messiah according to the flesh whose overall God blessed forever. Amen. You see, God is making them the funnel for every bit of God's sovereignty to come into the world. They were God's witness nation. They were the mediators. And that is what makes their unbelief so sad and so tragic. But then there's the culminating mediator. 
the one true, all-glorious, unequaled mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the culminating and all-glorious mediator, an unequaled mediator, because he was the true, pure, exact expression of God. Amen. The writer of Hebrews said, He is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of God's nature, and upholds all things by the word of God's power. He is the exact duplicate of God because he is God. Amen. He said, if you've seen me, what? You have seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Then John begins his letters with, The Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we beheld, we seen his glory. Amen. He is the culminating, all-glorious, unequaled, one great mediator of God's revelation. Jesus is the pure and exact representation of God the Father. Oh, amen. Mm-mm-mm. Oh, praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. Secondly, because he makes reconciliation possible, he becomes the only saving mediator. That's why First Timothy tells us in chapter 1, verse 5, there is one Mediator between God and man. The man, Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate mediator because he is the perfect representation of God. He is the ultimate mediator because he is the one who brings sinners to God. And by providing the perfect sacrifice, they are not condemned. He is not just a mediator because he's God. He's also king. He comes into this world not to establish sovereignty over the materially re- the created universe. He already has that. He already had that before he went into human form. He was born a king. Think about that. He was born a king. A Persian kingmaker showed up at his birth to acknowledge he was king. Gabriel came to Mary and said, you're going to have a child and he's going to be a king and he's going to rule forever. The psalmist said in Psalms 2 that the day will come when God sends his son to be king. Isaiah said, a child will be born, a son will be given, universal government will be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, because he is the Father of Eternity. Oh, amen. This word is so good. I don't know. Oh, thank you, Jesus. This is blessing my spirit. I don't know if it's doing you any good, but I've done preach myself happy. Amen. Glory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus came into this world as king because he is God. Jesus is the creative part of God. 
He is the eternal God. He and the Father are one. Isaiah repeats this in chapter 11. He repeats it in chapter 12. Jeremiah repeats it in Jeremiah 23, 5. And it continues on through all the Psalms. So Jesus came into this world not to establish a universal kingdom or a universal reign over the created universe. He already had that. He showed it. He could control the seas. He could control death. He could control disease. He could control creation. He could create food out of nothing and wine. He was God and he had power over the whole created universe. Jesus said, if I wanted to, I could have instantly here a legion of 12 angels. Or 12 legions of angels. He said, no man can take my life from me. I lay it down by my own decision. He wasn't looking for control over the universe. He came to establish the kingdom in the heart of man. Now, the problem is, that's not the way the Jews saw it. The only thing they had ever expected was the big glorious kingdom as laid out in the Old Testament by the prophets. They'd studied these prophecies diligently. They knew what the Old Testament promised. All of the Jews, all of the Pharisees were basically what we would call premillennialists. To put it simply, glory to God. They all believed the Messiah would come and he would establish a kingdom. They never believed anything but that. How could there be anything else but that? They were not amillennialists or amillennialists. They didn't believe a kingdom could just erupt somewhere. And then when the kingdom was in full fruition, the Messiah would come. They didn't believe that at all. They all believed the king would come first and then establish his kingdom. And what would that kingdom involve? Well, let's look at that. Amen. How much time we got? Well, this kingdom would involve everything that was promised to Abraham. The covenant to Abraham in Genesis 3 was the promise of a great nation. The promise of a land. The promise of a ruler of spiritual blessings. Genesis 12 and Deuteronomy 30 was the Palestinian aspect of that covenant called the Palestinian covenant in which God promises them a restoration to the land and occupation of the original grant of that land. Then... Along comes the David covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And they are promised a kingdom and a glorious king out of the loins of David. They were also promised a new covenant in Jeremiah 31, where the whole nation would be blessed. The whole nation would become righteous. And the whole nation would know their God. And they were told by the prophets that the kingdom would be glorious. A lion would lie down with a lamb and children would play in a snake pit and not be bitten. The whole topography of the planet would be changed. The Lord would create a river flowing from Jerusalem out into the desert to make it blossom like a rose. They had all kinds of things in the Old Testament to look at. That there would come the prevailing peace and joy and comfort. 
the absence of poverty, the absence of sickness, long life, live long and prosper. If you died at 100 years old, the prophet said you would be considered still a baby. They all knew that. They knew that the kingdom would be a time of obedience and people wore bells in their robes that sung out for God's holiness. The prevailing truth in Isaiah chapter 65 would dominate the world. The Holy Spirit would be poured out. Joel said that, Joel 2. The Messiah would rule as king. There would be nobles around him ruling as vice regents with him in the glory of that kingdom. Jerusalem would be the center of the world. All nations would come to fight against this king when he came. And this king would defeat all those nations in a great battle. And he would try up and all nations would then be subjected to his rule. And he would reign over all. Israel will be the crowding nation of the world. The jewel in the crown would be the city of Jerusalem, which would rise to prominence over all cities. They all knew that. The prophets had already spelled all that out. So, they were waiting for it to happen. In fact, they put together a pretty good eschatology plan. There's a book called The History of the Jewish People in the Times of Christ. It was written a long time ago, but it's a great read. And it's written by a historian, Emil Schurer. In his book, he collects all of the ancient material from the time of Christ and pieces together the eschatology that the Jews had basically at that time. This is the uh, a little compilation of what he wrote in the book. Here's what they, the Jews had expected. First, the coming Messiah would be preceded by a time of tribulation or trouble, like birth pangs. Second, in the midst of this trouble and turmoil, there would appear a prophet like Elijah, heralding the coming of the Messiah. Thirdly, the Messiah would establish his kingdom, age, and glory, and vindicate his people. Fourthly, they found this in the, I'm sure, not sure I'm pronouncing this correctly, the, the Cybelline oracles, that nations would ally to fight against the Messiah and would literally interrupt all of their other wars to come and fight against the Messiah. Fifthly, the Messiah would destroy all the opposing nations, subjugating every single one of them. Number six, the restoration of Jerusalem would now occur. It would be made new and magnificent. Number seven, scattered Jews from all over the world would return to Israel. Number eight, Israel would become the center of the world and all nations would be subject to the Messiah. Number nine, the Messiah would establish the kingdom and the kingdom would be a time of eternal peace, righteousness, and glory. Amen. That's pretty good, isn't it? In fact, it's pretty accurate. Tribulation, an announcement of the arrival of the Messiah. A prophet comes before him like Elijah. He comes, the world fights him, he defeats them. He sets up his kingdom, restores Jerusalem, gathers his people, his sheep from all over the world. And Israel becomes the center of the world. Jerusalem, the throne from which he reigns. Praise God. And he comes into a kingdom that lasts forever. A kingdom of peace, righteousness, and glory. That is pretty good eschatology. 
Because that's what I believe too, praise God. And some people say somebody invented this in the 1800s. These expectations of the part of the Jews were drawn from Old Testament teachings, not embellished with, uh, they were embellished with uh, biblical writers' plans and, and interpretations. They got carried away, basically. The basic eschatology is pretty sound. Remember, they didn't see two comings. They only saw one. Their idea was all Jesus needed to do was show up and do this. They didn't expect he'd come to establish a spiritual kingdom. They weren't looking for an internal kingdom. They weren't looking for a spiritual kingdom. To put it simply, they weren't looking for a savior because they believed they didn't need a savior. Amen. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. That's why his message was so offensive to them. It wasn't that they didn't want the kingdom. It wasn't that they didn't like to hear him talk about the kingdom. It wasn't they were looking for a king. It was the kind of kingdom he was talking about that agitated them. Because they tried on a number of occasions to force him to be king, didn't they? And he had to prevent that from happening. In their minds, they already had enough tribulation. They were living through the tribulation, they figured. They'd had enough. The time was right for a new king and a new kingdom. They were weary of being subject to the oppression of a series of conquerors who'd occupied their land. And at that time, it was the Romans. When Jesus came along, he just couldn't be the Messiah because, well, I mean, where was all the hoopla? Not only did he not knock off the Romans and establish his throne, but where were all the signs in heaven? Because they had developed around this basic eschatological scheme the ideas that there should be signs in heaven before the Messiah comes. There will be signs in the earth, cataclysmic events, not healings, not resurrections and things that Jesus was doing. They didn't anticipate these things. That didn't fit into their system they were looking for. They were looking for cataclysmic wonders in the sky, cataclysmic wonders in the earth. And then when Jesus started talking about dying... That was an absolute absurdity because their understanding of the king was that he was coming to conquer, not be conquered. Even the disciples were struggling with this. They knew those covenants in the Old Testament. They knew those prophecies. And the Pharisees did too, who asked the question to Jesus. They knew that God keeps his word. So what's all this talk about a coming kingdom? They knew God had to fulfill his promises. And it just frankly didn't look like Jesus was the one in their opinion. Now look, they were really into all things theological. They were into everything theological. Everything related to the kingdom of God. And it was huge to them. Huge in the grammatical saying of one of our presidential candidates. It was huge. And they thought themselves to be the most skilled observers of all things dealing with the kingdom. And even though Jesus confronted them on several different occasions and told them they were totally inept at discerning the times, they thought they were really good interpreters and that they had developed their very extravagant ideas and they knew what was going to take place. And it seemed like this would be a good time for it all to happen. 
Oh, praise the Lord. Go to chapter 19, verse 11. In chapter 19, verse 11, it says, And while they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. Sure, if he's the Messiah, now you remember as he gets near to Jerusalem, there's this wave of enthusiasm around him based upon the resurrection of Lazarus. Maybe he's the one. When he actually gets to Jerusalem, the cataclysmic things should start to happen. The earth is going to shake. The sky will do its thing. All those signs will just burst forth upon us. And we'll know he's the one. So they were supposing that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. And that, that became a mob kind of psychology. Amen. Hallelujah. It just took over. When he got to Jerusalem... They started throwing palm branches down, yelling out, Hail, King of the Jews, Son of David! It was almost like they were wishing that they could make it happen by the power of their positive confession. All they ever really saw was the eschatological aspect of the kingdom. And they... All they ever saw was the end culminating reality of the universal kingdom. God taking back his world. God taking back his nation. Sending his king to rule. For them, when the Messiah came, he would come with great signs and destroy all the enemies. Establish Israel's national sovereignty and prosperity. He would rule over all the nations on the face of the earth. They had no concept of the spiritual internal kingdom. So their question, let's go back to our text in Luke 17. We need to get back there. <laughs> I know we didn't read that much. At least once we need to go back to the scripture, praise God. This is just the introduction, folks. Amen. We'll be looking more next time in Luke 17, okay? But their question is, when? Their question is, when? Having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, they're asking him, what's their big question? We're ready if you're it. And I, I think there's dripping sarcasm even in them asking that because they don't believe he's the one. But they're going to give him the benefit of the doubt just in case because he talks about the kingdom all the time. So they ask him, when? When is it going to happen? You ain't done it yet. We ain't seen any signs. We haven't seen any indications whatsoever. So tell us, when is it going to happen? And he answered them and said, and this basically is an answer that says, no, you got this all wrong, completely wrong. Your whole understanding of this is a misconception. And he says, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs that you can observe. It's not what you think, fellas. It's not what you think. 
You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God.